0: Part four. So I left you last with the idea, mm, the suggestion, to take five minutes to listen, to notice what creatures were around you, who was in your landscape, what were they up to. And I wonder if for some of you, maybe it clicked. Like at the optometrist, and they do that little thing with the discs, and they click, click, click. And then maybe they finally click on a lens that allows you to, voila, see perfectly. Even from, like, far away. But, maybe for some of you, the idea of... Noticing, paying attention to, regarding other creatures as neighbors. Maybe part of it clicked, but then your vision got fuzzy. Because of this other part of your head talking to you. So I would like us to lay a blanket here on this place and sit down just for a second To explore what would it be like to feel normal seeing other creatures around you as equal neighbors. Because for me, when it does click, that feels like belonging. Like someone took the loneliness dial and turned it down to just a mere hum so that's how i would describe it and i wonder what does loneliness feel like for you does it feel like this background hum always there below the surface does it feel or sound like something else when does it emerge I think for me, the hum of loneliness had been there all along. I mean, I think before the pandemic. I think I just drowned it out with busyness, with entrepreneurship, with slaying the day. And so then when I read folks like Robin Wall Kimmerer, Again, really hope I'm saying her name right. Uh, Jenny Odell, Violeta Cordova. When I read these authors, I I just felt cheated out of knowing that many, many cultures walk through the world with a sense of belonging all the time. And in large part It's because they have a sense of belonging with other creatures. So let's unpack belonging first. What is it? (laughs) To feel belonging, it is helpful to have two things. One, to feel admiration. Admiration for those that we want to belong to So right now, make sure you're breathing and think of someone that um, actually that you feel pity for. Who is it right now? Maybe someone you read about in the news. Maybe that dog that's barking in the background. (laughs) Maybe a friend, a relative? Is the people that you feel pity for, is that who you want to yearn to belong to? Or think of someone that you see as like, oh, quaint, really cute, the feeling you have for them is kind of like patting them on the head for being so damn special, but not brilliant. That feeling likely is condescension. Do you want to belong to their crew? I don't think we tend to yearn for belonging with those we pity or those we see in a condescending light. The yearning to belong to a group, it requires a certain sense that they are equal to us, maybe even better. To feel admiration creates that yearning that they, oh, hopefully adopt us as one of their own. Now, admiration doesn't have to be putting someone on a pedestal. Pedestal? English is weird. Okay, pedestal. But admiration is just could be that you sense they have something rare and magical in this world. And you just want to be near it. So think now of uh, a group, or maybe a person that you wish so badly to belong to You just hope they would adopt you as one of their own. And what about them creates that yearning in you? Feel free to pause the player. Breathe. Really hold them in your mind and think, what about them creates that yearning to belong amongst them? So, if you're ready, come on back. What I learned is that it turns out many cultures see other creatures as equally worthy of this admiration. But to the American Western culture that I, you know, partially grew up in, I grew up both in the US and in Mexico, to the American Western culture, this admiration towards other creatures kind of is fucking ridiculous in part because we've been told two things. One, we are more advanced than other creatures. And two, we are more intelligent than other creatures, more advanced and more intelligent. So let's unpack the first one in your mind. Imagine drawing a line that goes from the left to the right, just a nice single straight line. This is how colonial cultures talk about evolution, a single line moving from the left, primitive, to the right, advanced. If you image search for the term evolutionary timeline, like Google or DuckDuckGo, whatever your browser is, okay, search for that, you'll find, it's actually really easy to find these images of a single timeline, like one line that goes from left to right. And on the timelines, you're gonna see a really interesting thing. On the left, i.e. primitive, you'll see things like bacteria, fish, And way on the far right is a bearded white dude. Yeah. I was looking at one of these and I was like, dude, if you just put some black jeans and a t-shirt on that guy, he looks like every barista in Portland. So that's an interesting way to tell the story of life on earth. But if we breathe shake off that image, just erase it. Start from scratch. And instead, if we draw a tiny, tiny spider's web, right in the middle, pulsating. And then imagine that each of the strands of that tiny web, you can see them start reaching out all of the strands and imagine the web is growing from the center out. So that more and more strands are crisscrossing each other. If we imagine this expanding glistening web, which part would we say is the most important? Which strand is more valuable? because if you asked a spider say it would be like which part is more valuable?" are you f- <laughs> That's a fucking weird question every strand is valuable do you know how webs work <laughs> so this is another way of explaining how evolution works it's another way of explaining why is it that we share 96 percent of our genes with all other creatures on this planet Maybe it's not because we came from them, meaning their genome isn't more primitive than ours. Maybe it's because we co evolved alongside them. All of these genes sharing a microbial beginning, but then just like crisscrossing the hell through time, putting us where we are now at the edge, the perimeter of the web. When I learned that lots of cultures, including scientist cultures, see evolution this way, it meant that the Crow family in the front yard, when I look out the window in the morning, it means that they are as modern as I am because we are all sitting side by side at the current perimeter of that evolutionary web. I'd never considered that the crow could have an equal modern place in essentially the strength theory that is evolution. Now, there are Western science folks that say, okay, Jesus, fine okay evolutionarily speaking okay sure creatures alive today are as okay evolutionarily meanly modern as we are but that does not make them as advanced as we are because we are more intelligent so I looked up this thing what what does it mean what is first intelligence? It's like one of those words that you always think you know, and then someone is like, what's it mean? And then you have to realize you kind of know what it means. <laughs> the first entry in the dictionary says, intelligence is the ability to acquire and apply knowledge or skills. The ability to acquire and the ability to apply knowledge or skills. But from my work, I know that hmm, historically, this definition has actually been made a lot more specific. And it depended on who was doing the intelligence assessment. For example, white folks in the US, have been creating intelligence tests for upwards of 150 years, always using their whatever their current cultural priorities are to determine how intelligence will be tested. And to this day, they continue using the results of those tests that they defined according to whatever their current cultural priorities are, as proof of why black and brown workers say are actually a pretty good fit for low-paying jobs. You can look it up. It's pretty easy to find. That's a long way of saying I think it's fair to say we humans don't have a great track record with understanding what intelligence is, much less measuring it even within our own species. So it's funny that we feel so confident about measuring it in other species. So I dug further, because I was like, Wah. so turns out there are many people, including people in Western sciences that don't mm, they don't measure intelligence. They map it. There are scientists that help us learn, for example, that there is such a thing as chemical intelligence. Which is, um, I mean, again, I'm still learning, but roughly the ability to sense the chemical makeup of the environment, aka acquire knowledge, and then respond to it to support the ecosystem and their own, right animal self. So this one scientist, for example, uh, Susan Simmerd or Simard, she studies how paper birch trees essentially give, douglas firs different kind of tree they give douglas firs um, nutrients like sugar carbon when the douglas firs are stressed because for example they're getting too much shade and how mm, douglas firs then return the favor if later the paper birch is low on the same nutrients sugar carbon when i first read this just thinking about chemical intelligence and how these particular trees are using and applying that knowledge. It made me wonder, which of my neighbors need a critical nutrient? And how would I know? Did they know when I was at my lowest? They didn't. And so what good is intelligence, even if we had chemical intelligence? When instead of using it, we would just probably still sit alone scrolling on phones. If I had chemical intelligence, would I be able to communicate to them in some other way besides the awkwardness of words that I was maybe at my lowest, that I could use some nutrients as it were? I also learned there's some other people who study all these other senses that humans don't have. Um, Like uh, one of them is, I think it's electroreception, which sounds amazing, Uh, echolocation, that's another one. So we don't have these senses, other animals do. Imagine if right now you closed your eyes or you didn't have access to vision, but even with your eyes closed or without access to vision, you could sense the electrical currents in a room, the charges that different things emit or are vibrating at. And that, that sensing wouldn't even be like a visual map in your mind. It, it would be just its own way of sensing in the way that when you smell a smell you don't create a visual map of it right you just sense a smell that's such a different way of acquiring knowledge about an environment and it would be I can't even fathom what it would be like to then apply it the intelligence you would get to develop the talents with access to this kind of knowledge, information, data, in real time. The truth is I can't imagine what that's like. I just I just can't. It's just too different. But I can admire those who have it without fully understanding what it must be like. Now there's a different kind of intelligence that we have humans and other animals have it's called pattern intelligence and other animals like crows starlings raccoons these other animals like we do have this intelligence and it's what makes them able to thrive in or human landscapes like or human made or cities urban areas, suburbs. That's because they use this intelligence to process what is essentially constantly changing information in a cityscape. Like it's just constantly changing. Buildings get torn down, built up within a matter of months. Resources change with their source. But they use this intelligence to take all this in and then quickly understand the new patterns that are present. Like hmm, when it's hot out, there's now a new source of water, and it looks nothing like anything we've ever seen water come out of, but it'll work. It's going to work great. Of course, I'm talking about like a fire hydrant. Um, I'm thinking about the fire hydrants in uh, the Crown Heights neighborhood that I was lucky enough to live in for one summer. The crows the raccoons, starlings, they quickly shared this hot tip with others of their kin, collectively used it. And I gotta say they like loved the fuck out of it. (laughs) So this made me think about all the people that I coach who are so deeply overwhelmed, they're burnt out, they're stressed, because their work environment keeps changing and they just can't see the new patterns that are there, or they don't want to see them, I'm not sure. And the new patterns are there, showing them where they can get their needs met in this new environment. But instead, they're just overwhelmed. So around this time, putting these pieces together, it was dawning on me, I was told one story and only one story, that humans are more advanced because of this moving target we call intelligence, but then really the majority of human existence across vastly different cultures, there's been these other stories, very different other ways of seeing our place on the web of evolution and just that many many people find that stack ranking thing that we do with intelligence is really weird to them it's it's like stack ranking colors or stack ranking all the flavors that our tongues can taste what the fuck why would you stack rank the rich complexity of life? Of what? What does it, in, in what way does it help my brain, I should say, to decide who is better always, me or the crow, me or the rat, me or why? What if that crow is the flavor of like a crisp anise, like? like a chilled aquavit. And what if I'm the flavor of chili, sugar, clay together? Chili, sugar, clay, by the way, it's the flavor of my childhood. It was a delicacy where I grew up in Mexico. Which two massively different flavors, but oh, each so good. So when it clicks for me, it becomes weirdly easy to see the crows, the bees, the pigeons, that spider, the hibiscus tree in the front yard, as equals to me because of their mysterious complexity and because It's weirdly now not so hard to admire the way that they know how to do things. I am not even sure I've tried yet, much less mastered. Like communicating in real time better with my neighbors about who needs what. And so this lens, this way of seeing them makes it very easy to see how I might belong to them. Or gasp, (laughs) maybe they had already adopted me as kin. But I was being more of like the confused, newly adopted teenager, still figuring out how to belong back, how to settle into a home with strangers strangers that were weirdly sending me signals that I was welcome. That they were ready to have me belong once I felt ready to. So I think this brings us back to the second thing. At the beginning, I'd said that to feel belonging, it's helpful to have two things. One, To feel admiration for those that we want to belong amongst. And two, to feel that those folks want to communicate with us back. That they can, that they will, that they would communicate back. And so let's dig into that. The science, some more cultural stories in part five. I'll talk to you then.